You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey everybody, it's Dr. Brock. Now, I've been a guest on this show many times, and it's usually Dan who's introducing me, but today we're doing things a little bit differently. I'm going to be introducing myself. Uh, my name is Brock Gaster. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Washington, and now I'm going to introduce Dan too. So please welcome the host of the award-winning Savage Lovecast, the author of the long-running sex advice column, Savage Love, Dan Savage. Hey, Dr. Brock. Thank you for having me on my show. Now, now, Dan recently underwent surgery to repair a torn rotator cuff, which is a relatively big surgery, which has a, a kind of a long, arduous recovery process. So, Dan, thank you for being with us despite this, and welcome to your show. <laughs> thank you, uh, Brock. I am here through the power of uh, painkillers and also your willingness to pinch hit for me and, and do most of the lifting here, the heavy lifting of the intro while I lay back in this chair and let the opioids do their work. Yeah, so how, how is it going? Um, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Um, thanks everybody for all your well wishes. Been getting a lot of emails at Savage Love and, and, and notes from people, DMs on social media wishing me well. I appreciate it. I'm just really mystified that these drugs that I'm thrilled to have access to because the pain in the first 24 hours is so extreme and it lingers uh, that anyone could ever get addicted to these drugs, to, to opioids, because the effect, at least for me, is so unpleasant. I, you know, every once in a while I've experimented with drugs. I was on Molly and I thought I could be on Molly all the time. That wouldn't be so bad. Where I was a little tipsy and thought if you could be just a little tipsy all the time, that wouldn't be so bad. But there's never a moment on this drug where you're like, if I could be on opioids all the time, that wouldn't be so. No, it's they're awful. Yeah, I mean, these opioids are really sort of powerful and and somewhat unpredictable drugs. I mean, they do different things to different people at different times. And, you know, there's no question that the, the scourge of, of substance use disorder addiction is, is a huge major problem and that uh, opioids uh, do so much harm. And yet, but they also can be so amazingly important and good. I mean, when people have severe cancer, severe pain from cancer, or they are recovering from major surgery, um, they really do, you know, almost miracle in, in taking the, the edge off of really severe pain. I'm so uh, glad that you have, have them to help you get through this and sorry that you're going through such a hard time. Um, you know, but it, you're, you're going you're gonna to get better, Dan. You're, you're, you're doing great. So hang in there. And, and really, just thank you for joining us today on, on your show. Well, thank you for having me on my show, Brock. I really appreciate your help. All right. Oh, oh now you go get some rest. I'm going to handle the rest of the intro from here. All right. So coming up on today's show, we've got tons of your questions, tons of Dan's awesome answers. And on the Magnum Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at savage.love, we're going to have Meredith Goldstein, the author of the Boston Globe's Love Letters Advice column and host of the Love Letters podcast, who will be with us for a second opinion. Uh, Dan and Meredith are going to talk about breaking up, staying fit, and what to do when one partner wants kids and the other doesn't. All that and more coming up on today's show. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. 
I'm a relatively small influencer who gets a reasonable amount of attention from men online. Recently, I received a $5 donation from someone saying that they are a pay pig. I later received an email from them indicating that they sent me money for a coffee and asked if I've ever considered financial domination. I've had people ask that before, but they've never actually sent any money. Obviously, $5 is small, but considering it was unsolicited, it felt like maybe that could be serious. I did end up responding to them, what are you looking for? And they responded back that they want me to be mean to them through email and they would send me money. I've never done anything like that before, but I'm a young mid-20s woman without a job and I could really use some extra cash. If this is real, I'm interested in pursuing it. So I'm wondering, how do I further respond to this person to one, see if they're legit, two, safely and ethically understand how much to demand, and three, to maintain the illusion while still achieving one and two? Well, it's obviously real. You already have this Finn subs five bucks. They already bought you your coffee. They're for real. And financial domination is, of course, for real. There are lots of Finn subs out there who get off. On sending a little bit of money, some, I wrote a column recently about somebody who wants to give a whole lot of money, actually all of their assets to a FinDom that they've been tributing for years. Yeah, there's lots of people out there who are into this, lots of people out there who are doing this. The question is, how do you do it safely? Now, you're never going to be in the same room with this person. You don't have to be in the same room with this person. Are you inviting the attentions of someone who could possibly be a stalker? Well, you say that you're an influencer with some presence online. That is already a risk. So I don't think you're incurring additional risks of inviting unwanted attention from someone you might have to block. What you do risk here is creating a kind of e-trail, not a paper trail, an e-trail, You'll be sending him in exchange. You know, this is a transactional relationship. Findoms aren't just sucking up money for nothing. There's something that the fin sub wants out of that interaction. And it's usually contempt. It's usually mean emails or DMs. Some attention must be paid or repaid. You're paying them for their money that they're sending you or giving them a good, a service in, I guess, commodifying your contempt and tickling whatever it is about their insecurities or feelings of inadequacy or worthlessness that arouse them, that they've hopefully safely contained within a firewall of this is about sex and it's not who I really am and it's something that I can step into, enjoy, uh, purge, a little bit of the catharsis of that dom-sub role play. And I think the issue for you is this is a kind of low-key sex work that he's asking you, this guy is asking you to do. And he will have, if it's via email, he will have an archive of those emails. Perhaps this is me catastrophizing. Perhaps this is a low probability event, but only you know if it would be a high consequence event if he went after you if he started spamming people's comments on Instagram or started posting the receipts that he has or will have of you doing this kind of low-key sex work for him. 
if that would not be a big deal, if that low probability event is a low consequence event for you potentially, if that's something that you wouldn't feel shame about, that you would if, you know, worst case scenario, again, I think this is highly unlikely to happen. But if it were to happen that you could laugh off, yeah, the guy was sending me five, 10 bucks and picking up, you know, lunch or dinner or coffee every once in a while. And all I had to do was send him a email and tell him he was a piece of shit and worthless. Like, yeah, I did that. Then I'm not ashamed. Then I do it again. If you can see yourself laughing it off, shrugging it off, if the worst should happen and he should attempt to shame you, well, then I think you can do this safely. If, on the other hand, somebody coming after you for doing this kind of low-key sex work would cost you your job, would negatively impact your relationship with family members, would get your ass divorced. You say you're in your mid-20s. I hope you're not married yet, but if you are, if you're you know, thinking about doing this without your husband's knowledge or your boyfriend's knowledge and they would potentially have a problem with that, eh, then you might not want to do it. All that said, I actually know quite a few people in the FinDom, FinSub scene now. I have some friends who are into it, some friends who, like you, were just living their lives on Instagram and somebody slid into their DMs and asked if they could tribute, send them money, be their FinSub. And some of my friends said yes to that and have had nothing but good experiences thus far and haven't been dragged or exposed or outed or shamed or had one of these fin subs attempt to engage in any kind of, I guess, revenge porn, revenge posting. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dan, this is Andrew calling from Brooklyn. I know that you have talked about this quite a bit on your show, the relationship between having a friends with benefits and what that looks like in the negotiation process. And um, my boyfriend and I are open. We've been open for a year. It's been really great. And we live together and we got, we've got, we gotten super close with another gay couple that's also open. And we met them, you know, through one of the apps. And it hasn't gotten sexual yet. And we've just remained friends over the last few months. And we wound up, you know, getting dinners together and doing stuff together. But me and the one husband we have a very strong sexual connection and sometimes he'll just be looking at me from across the room if we're like all having dinner or whatever. And I just feel this intense sort of attraction to him. And I think his personality is, you know, one that I would want as a best friend, but I can't see myself really dating him, but definitely want to have sex with him. But I know that my partner feels a little insecure because he's worried, you know, about me catching feelings or that kind of thing. I'm just wondering what you think about that and if it's something that me and my friend should pursue because he really wants to have sex and I've kind of been more cautious about it just because I don't want it to ruin our friendship, obviously, and I don't want it to ruin the relationship I have between, you know, me and his husband and my boyfriend. So, you know, we've all talked about doing stuff together. So maybe that is the alternative to which I'm definitely not opposed to and I don't think they are either my boyfriend is the one who's a little bit more conservative I would say when it comes to hooking up with people that we're also friends with so um, I also want to respect his boundaries so I'm just wondering what you think the best case scenario is because we all really want to remain friends but I feel like we can't deny this sexual tension that's been percolating in the air I think you should do probably the only thing you can do here that centers and respects your boyfriend's comfort, security, the boundaries that you two have set. 
which is to continue to let the sexual tension build between you and this other guy. When you guys stare at each other across those crowded rooms, when you're eye fucking each other across those crowded rooms, the sexual attraction between you two is undeniable and you shouldn't deny it. Doesn't mean that you have to act on it or should act on it or that if you don't act on it now, you can never act on it. Acknowledge it. Be honest about it. You met this other couple, you say, on the apps. So there was some assumption from that very first meeting that a sexual connection between one or all of you or two or all of you is a possibility from the start. And I think you should at the very least be able to be honest with your boyfriend about that. You're into this guy. This guy is into you. Rarely the case when you're talking about four people that everyone is equally into each other. But at the very least, the two of you are into each other. Something may happen, but you don't want anything to happen until everybody's comfortable and on board. And you only recently opened your relationship with your boyfriend. And if right now, no friends, no mutual friends, no people that you socialize with is a rule that makes it possible for your boyfriend to be in an open relationship, your more conservative boyfriend to feel comfortable in that open relationship with you. Yeah, you're going to have to honor that. You're going to have to hew to that. And you can honor that and you can hew to that and stew in resentment, or you can honor that and hew to that and enjoy the sexual tension and continue to let it build because who knows your boyfriend, particularly if he sees you honoring his limits, his boundaries, respecting his boundaries, he may grow more comfortable with the idea of shifting those boundaries for you because he can trust you because you've demonstrated to him that you can be trusted even when it's a struggle, even when you wanna, you're not gonna without his okay. And that may get him to a place where he feels more comfortable with you fucking around with this other guy. All that said, you can catch feelings for someone after you've touched them with your dick. You can also catch feelings for someone without ever touching them with your dick. You can fall in love with someone. You can be so attracted to them that even if you aren't fucking them, you can catch feelings. So there's nothing about declaring these guys physically off limits, particularly if you continue to see them and you have this really strong vibe, although you say it's a friendship vibe. If your boyfriend's concerned that making it sexual is going to open the floodgates and feelings are behind those floodgates and they're going to wash in. Yeah, that can happen even if nothing sexual happens. And just as you're listening to your boyfriend, when he says to you right now, I'm not comfortable with us, you know, comfortable with us fucking around with other guys, but not fucking around with friends, not fucking around with people we see or want to see socially. You should be comfortable saying to your boyfriend, listen, trust me, what I feel for him and I feel something for him already is not romantic. It's friendship. In my world, sometimes friends fuck. Doesn't mean you have to join me in my world just yet, but just so you know, I'm not interested in this guy that I feel like I'd like to have as a friend that I already do have as a friend that we have as friends, him and his partner. Don't want to upgrade to sex because 
There are romantic feelings there I want to explore. Just a friend that I want to fuck. That is a thing that happens. That is the thing that gay men do. Seems to be a thing that gay men are particularly good at. Give it time. Your boyfriend may come around or he may not. And in the end, you're going to have to respect your boyfriend's boundaries and limits when it comes to your open relationship. If you want it to continue to be healthy and functional, which I think that's what you want, even though you probably called me hoping to get some sort of permission slip, but not today. A man of my stature and my reputation, a man who has spent more than half his life talking to people about what they do in bed, that man goes to bed each night on the best mattress possible. And that best mattress possible, the best mattress available out there is a Helix mattress. And you will find me and my husband and our various boyfriends laying down, laying our heads down each night on a Helix mattress mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position support, and edge reinforcement. And every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz now to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge for that 100-night risk-free trial. You get to try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit for you, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Right now, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a bisexual poly cis woman from the Western U.S. and Magnum subscriber. I've been in a relationship with my partner for four years now, all long distance, passionately in love, and invested in one another for the long term. We discussed a move last summer, deciding to both relocate in part to be together. He currently resides with his other partner and relocated to the same city last year. My timing for the move was delayed to align more with school schedules. I have kids. And while making active plans for my relocation this fall, I'm really struggling to do so without knowing his anticipated level of involvement. And a thorough conversation is necessary and imminent. Although he has an existing nesting partner, I had envisioned a scenario where his time would be fairly split between both his current residence and one we would share and include an element of interdependency involving living expenses. I can independently support myself and my children, but would value this additional commitment to our relationship. There's been very limited conversation about this thus far. However, I've gathered that there's no assumption on his part that we would share living expenses beyond what we currently do, which is primarily food and drink while we travel to see one another. We designate the relationship as non-hierarchical, and I understand there's an innate hierarchy with cohabitation, but is it possible to have more than one nesting partner? I had just hoped being closer would elevate our partnership in ways not feasible with long distance. Can you help me approach this conversation with sensible and compassionate perspective? Is it possible to have more than one nesting partner? Absolutely, absolutely possible. 
does your boyfriend have any interest in having more than one nest and more than one nesting partner? Seems to me that, and also your expectations around him making a financial contribution to the running of that other nest, those are things you need to nail down before you move. Those are things you need to get some clarity on from him before you uproot your kids and move closer to him after having made these assumptions that being closer together would somehow elevate the relationship that he would want to nest with you just because he could also nest with you. And I'm sorry if he's been dodging conversations about financial commitments and his expectation now that he's somehow made clear to you that he would have no more financial contribution to make than the kinds of financial contributions he's been making thus far, which is just food and drink when you travel to see each other. Yeah, seems to me that this idea that there's something non-hierarchical about these relationships is a non-starter. He has a nesting partner. He makes a financial contribution. It sounds like that person is his primary partner and he is in a very passive way trying to let you know or has let you know that he's not going to make a larger financial contribution and that he may have no interest in establishing a second nest or doing any poly double reverse backflip parenting of your kids helping you out in that way. And maybe you're afraid of getting an answer that you don't want to hear from him before you've moved. But my God, you need to get those, you need to get clarity from him. Maybe he wants to nest with you too. Maybe he wants no primary partners, non-hierarchical relationships, and you will be equal in every way to the partner who just logistically and geographically is closer to him now and so enjoys more of his time and attention and financial contributions than you've been able to enjoy, or maybe not. Maybe he doesn't have the bandwidth, and maybe non-hierarchical is just a poly buzzword he tossed around to make you feel comfortable spending your money to travel and see him and eat with him and fuck him. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his head. And you don't know either. How do you have this conversation in a compassionate way? Well, you seem to me like a perfectly thoughtful, reasonable, rational, calm person who is, doesn't need my help having this conversation. You just need a push to go and have this conversation conversation during which you may hear from him what you didn't want to hear, which subconsciously may be the reason why you've avoided having this conversation with him up to now. But it is absolutely crucial for your own emotional safety and for your kids' safety emotionally, socially, for you to have this conversation with him now. Are we going to have a nest of our own? Will you be also my nesting partner? Yes or no? Will you be making a financial contribution? Yes or no? And if the answers to those questions both no, he's either actively misled you about his intentions or you've made assumptions about his intentions, about what's possible, and you're not going to want to move if that's the case. But who knows, maybe the answer to both those questions is going to be yes. The assumptions you made about your relationship 
being elevated once, you know, not elevated above the relationship he's in now, elevated to the same plane, non-hierarchical and all that, are, are accurate. And then Yahtzee, Yahtzee for you, you win. But you're going to want to know whether you're going to win or get what it is that you want or assume that you're in line to get before you move. Hi, Dan. 30-something gay man here from the South with a question about something that happened to me for the first time today. I was bottoming for a guy that I recently met and for the first time ever had an orgasm from bottoming, which was great, except that there was blood mixed in with the semen. And I didn't notice it at first. And afterwards, I started to jerk off a little bit. And as I was pre-coming, blood started coming out of my penis. Little concerning. Is this something that can happen? I googled it and saw that it can be a sign of issues with the prostate. But I'm nowhere near a virgin and nothing like this has ever happened before and i would be curious for some input if this is something that is normal is it something that i should be concerned about is it something that i can avoid happening in the future what are your thoughts your call makes me think of dr carlton thomas's advice last week or a couple weeks ago that when a gay man goes in for an sti screening that it's not just his dick that needs a swab throat and but usually blood in the semen, there's no cause that can be pinpointed and it clears up on its own, particularly for men under the age of 40. But blood in the semen can be a sign of chlamydia, rectal chlamydia, rectal gonorrhea. Also, it can be a sign that there's a prostate issue. Sometimes it happens when men have had a prostate biopsy or prostate surgery. But usually it don't mean a thing. It's not like you got fucked in the ass for the first time, fucked really hard, and somehow that guy's dick punched the blood out of your prostate and it made its way into your semen. It's probably just a coincidence. That said, could be evidence of an underlying sexually transmitted infection in a part of your body that maybe you went in for STI screenings like a responsible gay man and they didn't do a rectal swab. Even if you haven't bottomed much, you can still you know, just grinding bits together and fingers traveling around and fluids getting places, you could still contract possibly a sexually transmitted infection anally, rectally, without necessarily having been fucked in your butt. So go eliminate that possibility. Go in for an STI screening. If it clears up on its own, which it probably will, then it was probably nothing. Or maybe you bumped your taint, bumped your urethra in such a way that you caused a little bit of internal trauma and a little bit of internal bleeding. That happens. I once fell on my bike, fell on the crossbar of my bike. It hurt, fell off the bike seat onto the bar. It hurt. I was an adult. I was in my thirties. It really hurt. And then I really forgot about it. Later that same day, I was jacking off. And what looked like a melted candy cane, red and white stripes came shooting out of my dick. And I had a little bit of a heart attack until I remembered that I'd fallen on 
my bike earlier that day and really landed hard on my taint and my urethra. Maybe if you think through that day or the day or two before you got fucked in the butt, maybe you sat down on something too hard. Maybe something happened that could have done to your urethra what that fall on my bike did to my urethra. All that said, err on the side of caution. Go in, get an STI screening. If your butt is clean and clear, then it was probably nothing and it'll clear up on its own. Hey, Dan, this is Elle from Dallas, and I'm just calling to ask a important question. For those of us who are not really getting any, and it's been five years now, what do we do other than diddle away on ourselves? Because we're bored and we would love to have sex with our husbands. It is a mitzvah really because he has issues erectile issues and just doesn't want to take care of him so I guess I don't get any that's it I'm not poly I'm not bi I'm not any special designation and I don't mean that to be against anyone else but I am looking for some sort of answer or maybe some sort of comfort because it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. And I'm lucky if I get a kiss or a hug, I usually have to ask. This is somebody who I knew was a little bit emotionally reserved, but it took marriage to figure out how emotionally reserved he was. So if you can and you do have an answer, and I'm sure you do, please let me know. Here's a funny thing. About 20 years ago, I wrote a column about sexless marriages, sexless relationships. And in that column, I said, I am done answering this question. I am not going to answer this question ever again. Famous last words. I have answered this question, been put in the position of having to answer this question again and again and again and again and again and again and again since that column was published at least 20 years ago. It's almost as if people don't like the answer, which is obvious uh, and are hoping that if they just ask the question another time, another way, with another framing, that I'm going to pull some other answer, some third option out of my ass and I'm just not going to be able to do that. If you are in a sexless marriage, if you are with someone and you have tried and you have implored and you have dragged them to see a counselor and you've had conversations about trying to make it work and they just consistently year after year refuse to work on it, express no interest in reviving your sex life, essentially abandon you sexually, but yet want to stay married to you and want you to honor the commitment you made if it was a monogamous relationship at the start, to not sleep with other people, but they don't want to sleep with you, you have two options. Leave or cheat. Now, it's not always possible for people to leave, which is why sometimes I describe cheating as the least worst option, not just for the cheater sometimes. Sometimes the person who is sexually frustrated and has been denied is keenly aware that the person who refuses to fuck them, refuses to work on it, refuses to do anything about their ED or whatever else would be left destitute or devastated emotionally, 
And so they hesitate to leave. The person contemplating cheating hesitates to leave because it would be not in the best interests of someone that they married and that they actually still feel for and love and would like to fuck. That leaving in those instances may be, may represent a bigger betrayal than cheating. That staying and cheating may be the best way to demonstrate your commitment and faithfulness in certain circumstances. Perhaps your circumstance is one of those circumstances. You don't mention how old you are. You don't mention whether you have kids or not, whether there's financial interdependence here. And sometimes it's the one who's about to be cheated on, who is the financially dependent one, not always the cheater. Everybody wants to black hat, white hat cheating. It's not always so simple. If it's easy for you to leave, the fact that your husband won't fuck you, won't even kiss you, hug you, grounds for divorce perfectly legitimate grounds for leaving. But if you don't want to leave for whatever unenumerated reason, you don't want to leave. You can't leave. It would blow your life up, blow his life up, devastate your kids, whatever. He's abandoned you sexually. You are free then, I think, to discreetly go get sex elsewhere. Meet He won't meet your needs. Meet your own. And if it's all about his ED, if it's all about his dick not getting hard, maybe, and I assume out of desperation, you probably already raised these options, get a strap-on dildo, oral sex, digital sex, mutual masturbation. There's lots of things that a couple can do sexually that doesn't require anybody, you know, it doesn't require him to get hard. But if he's not interested in doing those things or if doing anything sexually just makes him feel terrible because it reminds him of his inabilities or inadequacies or his erectile dysfunction is all they can think about. And just going through the motion sexually to give you pleasure is a place he can't get to. Yeah, you've got two options. And I have been sharing that very short list of options with my readers and now callers forever. And it has not expanded and won't expand. And I think you knew what the options were. You can leave your husband and start over and find some other guy to, who wants to fuck you and date and or marry that guy. Or you can get online and get those needs met. And since your husband isn't interested in sex or interested in you sexually, although I've described that as cheating throughout this response and everybody else out there is probably going to think you're a cheater if you get caught, you aren't cheating him out of anything that he wants or desires. And therefore, I actually don't think if you fucked somebody else, you would be cheating on your husband. If that makes you feel better about the cheating on your husband that you're about to do. Hey Dan, I'm a mid fifties cis straight guy in the Pacific Northwest. Simple question. How do you keep yourself motivated to exercise? On an intellectual level, I know all the reasons from preventing Alzheimer's to preventing type 2 diabetes and everything in between, but something always seems to come up or I'm too tired, even if it's just trying to do t five minutes on the elliptical. I was going to the gym pretty regularly pre-pandemic and was actually making some pretty good progress, but I haven't been back since 2020 and I'm trying to exercise at home. How do you stay motivated to stay in shape? Exercising at home isn't how you do it. Nobody exercises at home. Some people started exercising at home during the pandemic. Very few people post-pandemic have kept that up, have continued to exercise at home. 
The reason you were making progress when you were actually going to the gym is you can't go to the gym and watch television. You can't go to the gym and watch porn instead and have a wank. You can't go to the gym and sit down and do nothing. Getting yourself to the gym, once you're there, you're going to have to at least go through the motions of doing some of the exercises of, of working out. And even if it's only five minutes on the elliptical, if you get to the gym, and I'm assuming when you say you've only been able to do up to five minutes on the elliptical, you're talking about an elliptical that you have at home. Once you get to the gym, there's something about the social norms, even a bit of the social pressure of being in the gym where you don't want to look like you're doing nothing and you're going to want to go with what everybody else is doing, which is to do something to work out a little bit. So you say you're too tired. I have often found, and I'm, you know, this isn't for everybody. Not everybody has to go to the gym. Some people really don't like gym culture. Some people find being in a gym just aggravating and unpleasant. And I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to this caller who used to go to the gym and kind of liked going to the gym and was happy with the progress that they were making on the gym progress that screeched to a halt after the pandemic started and they tried, quote, working out at home, which, quote, <laughs> according to myself now, nobody ever does. Go to the gym. When you're tired, I find sometimes I'm exhausted. I would like to stay home. And there's something about momentum, propelling yourself out of the house, Getting on the bike, riding to the gym, walking to the gym, God forbid, driving to the gym, which seems silly to me, but some people can't get to gyms other than driving, other than in their cars. And create a little bit of forward momentum and tell yourself, even if all the momentum I can muster is just to get out of the house and go to the gym and I'm going to give myself permission to turn around and leave, if I'm not feeling it once I'm there, promise you, once you're there, once you've created a little bit of momentum, you will feel it and you will go to the locker room and you'll change and you'll go to the elliptical and you'll suddenly have done 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then you can go do some stretches or pick up and put down some light weights. You say in your fifties, now you're going to want to go with more reps, lighter weights. Don't injure yourself. He said after having injured himself at the gym, don't injure yourself, go light, many reps, but go. That's the real battle. Not what you're going to do once you get there, but getting yourself there. And once you get yourself there, you'll do something and your heart will benefit from it. You'll feel better inside your own skin and you'll be glad you went. You can't be glad you went if you don't go. Go. Hey, Dan, and the tech savvy at risk youth, 33-year-old cis by man here in a homosexual relationship. I've been camming for 15 years on and off. I get such a thrill showing off on cam and getting the same back from guys. I stopped for a long time, but during COVID, I hit a surge with all the Zoom rooms. It's been continuing, but the crux of the situation is I'm in a committed eight-year relationship. I attribute the resurgence to differing sex drives with me and my partner, which I've always been aware of. And as a savage love listener, it's the price of admission I'm willing to pay for our relationship. We could go a month easily without sex if I don't initiate and he doesn't. I really get off to long baiting sessions and if it fulfills a need for me. My question is, am I cheating? I sometimes finish on camp feeling morally duplicitous. I've never met anyone. I've not physically touched anyone else, but I do have my regular cam buddies. It's like a completely different part of my life that is basically the antithesis to my outward life. I'd love to get your take on it and whether this is something that is particularly like deal breaking or whether 
you think it's something that I definitely need to cut out. Whether you need to cut this out or not depends on how your partner of eight years would feel about it if he were to find out about it. And I can't imagine you would be calling, wondering whether you should cut this out if your hunch was your partner wouldn't have a problem with this. You wonder whether it's cheating. That depends. Couples get to decide for themselves what counts as cheating. I personally feel that it's in a couple's best interest to define sex broadly, because then they're going to have a lot of sex, but to define cheating narrowly, because then they're far less likely to be cheated on or to cheat on each other. Your partner has a low libido. Your partner doesn't initiate, always being the one who has to initiate and going sometimes a month or more at a time without sex unless you initiate or until you initiate. Price of admission you're willing to pay to be in this relationship with him. I suspect that you suspect that you camming, that you having this whole other kind of sexual expression that doesn't involve any in-person cheating, but does involve ongoing connections with people on the internet, that that might not be a price of admission that your partner was willing to pay. But there's only one way to find out, and that's to ask your partner. I would, if I were in your shoes, say to your partner, you know, no two people can be all things to each other. You know, there are things about our sexual relationship that are a price of admission I'm willing to pay. I love you. I enjoy sex with you. I wish you initiated more. I wish you had a higher libido. I get online and I jack off. I cam. The affirmation and something about that meets a need of mine that probably could never be met in a relationship, even if you had a high libido, even if you initiated all the time, I might still need this other thing, be able to express myself sexually in this way, and then put it to him, ask him, is this a price of admission you're willing to pay to be with me? And yeah, go ahead and guilt him. I already pay a price of admission sexually, erotically to be with you. And if you think it would be fair for him to pay this price of admission to be with you and for you not to then, I don't know, it's been eight, you've been doing this for a long time on and off for eight years, a little bit more in the last few years. Obviously you can do this and get away with it without ever telling him you could, I guess, regard this as something that exists in a zone of erotic autonomy. And you'll have to worry about what will happen when he finds out, if you decide to tell him, and that's how he finds out. But at least then you don't have to sneak around. At least then you're advocating for your own, that zone of sexual autonomy that I think you, as we all have a right to, you have a right to a zone of erotic autonomy. And I think personally that this is entirely reasonable, but I'm perhaps more reasonable than you believe your partner to be. If I were your boyfriend, you could definitely come to me and say, is this okay? And I would be like, yeah, sure, fine. But as you and I both know, I'm not your boyfriend. And you know your boyfriend better than I know your boyfriend. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, 
Let's read a couple of comments from last week's shows posted at savage.love. Says Taylor to the woman struggling with leaving her husband because she fell in love with another woman, don't let her be the person comforting you through your divorce. If you confide in her, you'll drive your new girlfriend crazy and push her away, or you'll create an intense bond you might regret forcing after you get to know her better. Says Carla to the woman who orgasms on a calf raised machine, it could be an erogenous zone. I'm a woman, Carla continues, with a very responsive erogenous zone above my left knee. I've almost had to stop professional massages because I thought I might come. And finally, says Dawn, for the married vanilla person looking to spice things up with her husband, I was recently linked to a website for tips on giving your husband a frenulum orgasm. The website, marriedchristiansex.com. I kind of got into a wormhole looking at it. There's actually some good advice on there for married Christian straight people and yeah, some things that non-married, non-Christian, non-straight people probably won't appreciate. Thanks to everybody who left comments at savage.love on the podcast and the column. And thanks to everyone who posted to their social media accounts this week about the show. We really appreciate your comments and your support. And now listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a message for the woman in your last show who called worried that three MMF threesomes were not enough for her partner and her or for her partner really. And it just exhausted me because I was like, oh my God, women are even doing the emotional labor of like finding threesomes for their partner. You know, if he's upset about it, she should tell him to do, I don't know, more work on this. Like she is doing enough. She is doing her best. She's doing more than enough. So I just want to encourage her and tell her to go pencil down on this because this is not her work alone to figure out. Hey, Dan, just calling back about episode 864, where there was that DS couple where uh, the woman has open relationship privileges, but the man only was only limited to other men when they're having a MMF threesome. And I liked uh, the feedback that you gave and, you know, it's particularly part about getting three threesomes a year or is like, you know, hallelujah, great job, right? That's pretty outstanding. But here's the thing that I think you missed. Have we considered the fact that maybe, maybe the man in this relationship should be given at least temporary privileges to go hunt dick on his own? Because it sounds like he really wants to hunt some dick. So I don't know, let him off the chain and go on grinder for a bit and like scratch that itch right okay maybe that part of the dynamic you know needs to be loosened at least temporarily hi dan this is a response call for episode 864 with the caller who's having orgasms at the gym I have been experiencing corgasms my whole life. It was the first experience of orgasm for me. I have been purposely trying to get them for as long as I can remember. But I just wanted to encourage the caller and let her know that it's cool, man. This is the best. It's a great skill. But also, like, if you're feeling embarrassed, I just want to let you know that I have been having these in group settings multiple, multiple times, and no one has ever called me out. I've never had a teammate or a coach or someone at the gym look at me sideways or know that it's happening. And I have like disclosed it finally to a couple of people and they were like, oh my God, that's amazing. But they never knew. I say high five. Welcome to the club. 
And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now to record your question or your comment. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. You can also call us at 206-302-2064 and leave a message. The Hump 2023 tour is stopping in just three more cities before going into a refractory period until the tour resumes in the fall. This weekend, we are in Nashville and Montreal before one final screening in Tucson at the end of the month. The 2023 tour of the world's best little indie dirty film festival resumes in the fall. Go to humpfilmfest.com to see where Hump is heading later this year. And if Hump is not coming to you or you don't want to see it in a theater, you can go to humpfilmfest.com to check out Hump streaming options. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage. And on Twitter, yes, still at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Meredith Goldstein on Twitter at Meredith Goldstein. That's Meredith, G-O-L-D-S-T-E. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading and thank all of you so much for your good wishes. <laughs>